The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. One. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes! 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 Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. sombrero so now that my partner doc is back with me and we're here to celebrate our fourth consecutive season of the braves winning the postseason with us in play that is a full presidential term presided over division championships for your platinum sombrero podcast and my platinum sombrero podcast the braves have embraced the tps and heading into the first round of the playoffs and what i have already said multiple times is in my opinion the best matchup period of the entire postseason between the two teams. And I know Doc is itching to talk after spending all that time trying to eat every piece of pizza in New York to talk about some Braves baseball and his thoughts on um, how much he wishes he could have been in New York when the Yankees lost. So, Doc, why don't you tell everybody how sophisticated you are now that you've come from the city that smells like pee? Well, you'll be happy to know that I was actually about an hour and 45 minutes north of the city that smells like pee. Um... We were in a town called Stone Ridge, which is right outside of Poughkeepsie. It was real, real nice up there. Really, really nice. And, uh, yeah, I do kind of wish that I had uh, still been up there when the, the Yankees got eliminated. Although, I did have Braves-Yankees World Series coming into this so year. So did I. Yeah. So, it was, uh, you know, that was kind of bittersweet, but not really. Because, you know, nobody really likes the Yankees. So, uh, it's good to be back. You know, I, I feel a, a bit of a void of uh of baseball recently just because you and I were talking before the show as we often do and we're back to that point now where baseball's not on every night and uh, it's going to be five and a half months before uh, we have that regular routine but now this means the games count more this is this is going to be a really really interesting series against the Brewers I just there's part of me that's super, super confident, and I am also just incredibly nervous about how this is going to go. I could I could see everything from Braves in three to Brewers in three, Braves in five, Brewers in five. I mean, the, every 
there are so many different possible outcomes of this series, and it all hinges on one guy for me, and he's not even he's not even on our team. So uh, hopefully Christian Yelich plays much more like first couple months of the season, Christian Yelich. Yeah, for sure, and uh, we'll talk about that. But before we get into that, uh, just getting to the NLDS this year seems like it's a minor miracle after all the things the Braves had to overcome. Most of it's self-inflicted, but then obviously you lose a Ronald Acuna, uh, and that's that's not something any team is just prepared to do. And in a weird way, I do think it actually helped the team because Ronald is so talented that it covers up a lot of holes on your team. And without him, the Braves had to really go about figuring out, okay, how do we get this done? And I thought this was... As much as I still think, and maybe I'm getting crucified a little bit, maybe not, I don't know. As much as I still think Alex played it pretty safe at this trade deadline, obviously the big deal for Richard Rodriguez is probably the deal that's worked out the least for him. Uh, everything else was was all basic and still didn't really give up much of anything. You could say that the best player, the best prospect they gave up was Ricky DeVito. Uh, there's, you could make an argument that he's the most talented player, period, that was given up in all of those deals. So good on Alex for finding a way to make big, important deals while staying within himself and not giving up anything that he feels is of major consequence. I don't think that gets talked about enough. We talk about how how great the deals were, and they were, but everybody kind of acts like Alex went out there and was like, oh man, I have to go do this, and just started shelling out uh, pieces left and right, when really he did not break from his mold at all. It was a very... It's, it's a very, for him, if you're if you're looking for a way to kind of pat yourself on the back and reinforce that what you're doing is the right way, this trade deadline for him was, was that, where he could kind of point to and say, look, this is the way that I operate, and it sure worked this year, didn't it? Absolutely. And and when you, you look around at the records of all the teams, you know, the, the Rays won over 100, the Giants won 107, Dodgers 106, even, even the Brewers, who were about to play 195, we won 87, I think. And... It's it's just a number because it doesn't fully represent, like, listen, it is really easy. You can look back at the record and say, oh, we weren't good, but it, it's kind of easy to forget just how bad things got, you know? So when it was just such a, a watershed moment, the trade deadline was, because it wasn't until August 5th that we finally got over 500, and we still wound up finishing 13 games over 500. That is humongous for a team that, that kind of sucked for a large portion of the season. So things being what they are now, you can't even really compare full season stats. Like when you look at uh, overall where the, the Braves ranked over the league or versus Milwaukee or against anybody, you, you really can only look at the second half numbers because the, the first half was such a misnomer. Ronald had the team on his back for the first couple months. Freddie didn't hit for a few weeks. Austin Riley forgot how to hit for power until the end of April. Ozzy went over his first 19 to start the season. I mean, it was just... It was just weird. It's so uneven. You could tell everybody had a little bit of a NLCS disappointment hangover and was struggling to put it all together. And when Ronald went down, I really, I'm like, that's not it. But it's going to take something drastic to, to win a fourth straight division title, let alone make any type of deep playoff run. So now... I'm just really proud of what this team has done. It would have been so easy to quit. I would have understood. You you had something to blame it on this year. It wasn't it wasn't just underperformance. You could have blamed it on, well, without Ronald, it's gonna be it's gonna be too hard and you know, maybe maybe we restocked the cupboard a little bit and run it back for twenty twenty two. but they stuck with it and gave us a lot of really fun baseball to watch. And now now's where it gets real. For sure. And 
I think that's a good point that the Braves had an out built in if they wanted it. And the other side to look at that is is the rest of the guys had a, a, a real come-to-Jesus moment of, okay, now we don't have Ronald to pick up the slack. we got to do it ourselves. And in, in a lot of instances, I think that's one of the things that allowed Riley to propel himself a little bit forward and, and become what we're seeing from him today, where it's not just power or not just contact. He found a way to merge and do both. And even if this ends up being the best season of Riley's career, it's a major season for him. And it was, you're not going to be able to overstate how important it was for this team. I think Freddie edged him out just barely in war, uh, like, like by 0.1 or something like that. And, and Freddie still had a a fantastic season, especially when you consider how bad his first two months were. Um, But no question, Riley was the main cog of this team and how the team performed. Now, you can talk about Solaire and what Solaire did for this lineup when he came over. Um, and I think that that was important to point out just the consistency of Jorge Soler. I know that the last year was bad for him. The start of this year was bad for him. But overall, he's been an exceptionally consistent player for the last four years. And I think that brought a lot of stability to this lineup. And it helped everybody kind of fall into place a little bit where it wasn't quite the same, but you knew that you had guys in place who could score runs. And for this team, it wasn't ever about the talent level, even without Ronald. They were still the most talented team on paper in the division. It was about getting everybody in sync at the same time. And that's when you look at the second half of the season, that's what the Braves did really well. Now, you mentioned the Braves being the the kind of bringing up the rear in terms of records heading into this. Well, that's certainly true, but when you're digging through all of the numbers for the team, and you dig a little bit deeper than just surface wins and losses. When you look at the Pythagorean records, which, by the way, for those of you that don't know what like Pythagorean record is, think of it as like FIP for wins and losses. Um, Pythagorean record takes into account basically your run differentials uh, and, and basically makes it even as far as winning one-run games versus losing them. Uh, if you if you take the Pythagorean records, the Brewers end up at 93 and 69, worse than their a little bit worse than their actual record, indicates they had a little bit of luck on their side. The Braves jump up to 94 and 67. That's a six-win jump, which is not nothing. That shows there was a lot of bad luck, obviously illustrated by how bad they were in one-run games this year. So you can point to things like that and say that this team, while the, the record doesn't look as good, you can look at this team and see them as a sleeper team, as a team that is going to get overlooked based on their record, but who, if you dig a little bit deeper into the numbers, you can clearly see they were one of the better teams in the league, just like they were a season ago. Absolutely. I am really, really happy with the fact that when Alex went out and was making his acquisitions, he has added three really, really important guys for one one very particular reason. Charlie Morton, Jorge Soler, and Jock Peterson are World Series champions. And they that has a certain swagger, certain guys that their their heart rate never gets too high. We know what Charlie has done in the playoffs. We know that Jock has been incredibly clutch in playoff moments before. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, to see him get a, a little bit more playing time than he's been getting uh, just because of the postseason pedigree that he's got. But this is the type of thing that rubs off. And another thing, you know, Freddie's been in the playoffs um, multiple, more times in his career than some of the guys, you know, like Ozzy and, and Austin, obviously. But he's got a lot of playoff experience, too. He's never taken it all the way towards being a champion. But every year that this team continues to make it back to the playoffs, they get a little bit thicker skin. And so... I would be curious to know how last year's playoffs affected them going forward and see, to see how much uh, the guys on this team are able to just keep keep everything together because there were a lot of moments where they were in a position to be clutch last year and were able to actually pull through. You saw what Max did in the playoffs last year. Freddie had a walk-off hit. Um, 
you know, there there's a there's a lot of really good performances last year. And even there were some bonehead things too that happened that wound up uh, keeping the team from making it to the World Series, but um those are the types of mistakes you learn from. And and being able to put all that into something that helps you push forward and and make it into a World Series this year. I mean, we say it every year, but it's kind of World Series or bust. And it's going to it's going to be hard, but I mean nobody in there Nobody in that locker room would tell you that they don't think they're good enough to make it all the way and mean it. You know, weird things happen in the playoffs, but you also, this is a really good team. You know, this is a very well-developed team. You're going to have some guys that can give you the length out of the bullpen. You know, if you're pushing Anoa uh, to the bullpen, you know, he's going to be a really good asset. Smiley's actually been really good out of the bullpen. Uh, knock on knock on wood there. But, you know, you're going to have a team that that is, yeah, thank you, that is really, really well set up to to make a deep run in the playoffs and you don't want to chalk it up to luck in any case, but you know, sometimes the breaks go your way and sometimes they don't. And for two teams that are as evenly, evenly matched as, as these are, I, I think it's going to be a very similar, very similar case. And I think one of the things to point out in this postseason run this year, while a lot of people are assuming that the Braves, this is the worst playoff team they've had in a while. Not that shocking since, you know, there's no Ronald Acuna Jr. on the team. It is important to note that this is the first time that they're going to have in the since you know since this recent stretch of playoff runs, this is the best chance in four years as far as when they match up pitcher to pitcher with other teams. You're talking about having Max and Charlie, uh, Charlie and Max, I should say, in the one two in this spot. Now the Braves have three, at, at least two that can match up with literally any pitcher in the league, and then Ian, when he's on, can match up with anybody as well. This is the deepest rotation the Braves have had, in addition to probably the deepest bullpen and. I wouldn't say the deepest lineup because there's no Ronald and last year's lineup was just insanely deep for the Braves, but probably their second deepest lineup that they've had of the postseason and their deepest bench. So there's a lot of places, even though you don't have the superstar standout in Acuna Jr., this is a more well-balanced team heading into the postseason that feels like it matches up better in every area rather than it just having to to, to really exceed offensively and kind of carry some of the poor starting uh, starting prospects or young prospects in that postseason run. This is a team that we talk about the Brewers, uh, and we're, I promise we're going to get to this series here just in a second, but we talk about the Brewers and how they were really geared for the postseason with that three in the rotation. You could make that same argument for this Braves team, that, that they're a team that was really geared towards a postseason run when you get the regular days off in between games and you can really stick to three guys in your rotation, three to maybe four once you get to seven-game series. This is a real opportunity for this Braves team to show just how well-balanced they are. That is that is a really good point. That's something that was that was so severely lacking last year. I mean, every everything about last season was just completely thrown together, and uh, the way that they were they were able to navigate with just that patchwork pitching staff and make it through the the entire no days off thing. That's how you wind up getting some great folk stories about uh, the, the legend of Bryce Wilson and uh, and AJ Mentor coming out and shoving in his start last year. You had to get really creative, because the the depth. Uh, was only there in certain areas, and and team is pretty well rounded, and uh, I knew that if they got to this point, that they they would be set up well, uh, just because of the the way some of their relievers are. You've got guys that can give you multiple innings. You've got get, uh, good lefties and good righties. You're not. Re- it's not like Milwaukee when you're just relying on like one or two really, really good guys and then to prop up the numbers for everybody else. I mean, there's, yes, this bullpen is frustrating. I get it sometimes. The, the guys just don't have it. But more often than not, in the second half of the season, they've been pretty good. I'm not talking about Will Smith here, but, you know, 
So this team, when you look at the pitching and you look at the offense and you look at the bench, it's good enough. It is good enough. That's the point. Milwaukee, I feel like even though they are a better team in certain areas, I feel like we are better rounded than they are. Or or maybe just I have a better idea of what to expect from us. And I feel like even though good pitching often overpowers good hitting, we have enough good hitting to where even for as good as Burns, Woodruff, and Peralta are, we're going to give them fits. And not like, just that. I think the Braves have more ways to win. And I think that's important when you're talking about a postseason series here. I think that the Braves have more avenues for victory than the Brewers do. For the Brewers, they essentially have one avenue, and that is their starting pitchers go out and dominate for seven or eight innings for all five games or however many games it takes, and their offense scratches enough, just enough, to get across and win, and Hayter's able to dominate every game he goes into. The Braves can do it through their pitching with Morton and their or with their with their starting rotation in their bullpen. They can do it by winning with a couple runs. They could do it by this by this offense just going off and scoring a bunch of runs over and over and over. This is a team that can beat you in many multiple ways. And I trust our pitching to shut down their offense more than I more than vice versa. I mean, look, nobody's questioning how good their pitchers are, but Charlie F and Morton going in game one, I would be more scared if I was Milwaukee than I am of Corbin Burns, because I watched us hang five runs on him earlier in the season. That's not to say that he's not gonna come out and just break our backs. He might. He's he's good enough. He should win Cy Young. But uh I still, I still think we can do some damage. I do too. And, and talking about Burns, I, I, he's easily the, the Cy Young of this year. He didn't get talked about as much for some reason as Scherzer and Wheeler, who were both exceptional in their own right. But Corbin Burns was phenomenal. And he's such a, a difficult matchup for most teams because he does it with velocity, but it's not a straight pitch. It's that cutter of his. And when, when Corbin is at his best, it's when he's able to backdoor that cutter to lefties. It becomes such an, an impossible pitch to hit. When he's front-dooring it to righties, there's nothing you're going to really do with that. It's going to be weak contact all day. Uh, and if he's backdooring it to lefties where it just barely nicks that corner, if you hit it, you're just going to roll that over either to Burns himself or just bounce it to the third baseman. It's such a hard pitch to actually square up unless he leaves it over the middle of the plate. Or if he goes a little bit too far inside on opposite-handed hitters and you're looking for it, and you can kind of pull those hands through. And I think that Freddie's going to be the key piece uh, for tomorrow's start against Burns because if Burns leaves one in Freddie's wheelhouse, this is a this is a, a rotation for uh, for Milwaukee that you got to make them pay for their mistakes. They're not going to make a ton of mistakes. So this is – make no mistakes. I know – that the old heads that are going to be calling the games are going to be telling you that it's about stringing hits together and playing small ball and ABC baseball. That is the exact opposite way to beat this Brewers team. This is going to be a team where you are going to have to make those mistakes count because they're just, more than likely, they're just not going to give you that many chances to string five, six, seven, eight hits together. You're going to have to make them count. And for this offense, for this Braves offense, that's good because they take pitches, especially guys like Jorge Soler. They get into to good counts, and they have an idea when they come to the plate of exactly what they're looking for, and they'll attack, whether it's the first pitch or whether they have to foul off five or six in a row. That's That, to me, is, is going to be the big test for this offense is in the in the regular season, we saw them being patient. Can they stay patient in the postseason, or is the moment going to kind of make them a little bit more aggressive? Guys like Ozzy, guys like Dansby, who seem to work a little bit better. Ozzy's a little bit of a unicorn here. I think Ozzy is at his best when he's ultra-aggressive. Now, sometimes it backfires and he hits pitches that he shouldn't. But overall, I think when Ozzy is more aggressive, he's more focused, and I think that that's 
kind of Aussie's game. That's just Aussie's game. But for guys like Dansby and guys like Austin and guys like Freddie, the key here is going to be make sure you make them get you and, and run up those pitch counts. They do not have a good bullpen outside of Hater. And you have an interesting note or that you put up on Twitter about that bullpen and just how important Williams and Hater were to them and how that should be the overarching game plan. Absolutely. So for anybody that didn't see this post, the Brewers bullpen was worth 3.2 F4 this year. Josh Hader himself was worth 2.6 of that, which for a reliever is very, very good. And Devin Williams uh, was worth 1.4. So Devin Williams pulled a Waskar Anoa, got frustrated and after they won the division uh, punched a wall and broke his hand, which there's something about that story that doesn't add up for me. But to that end, 1.4 F war out of their bullpen is suddenly missing. So now you have Josh Hader and a bunch of other guys that combined for negative 0.8 F war. Negative 0.8 F war over the course of an entire season. Now, not all of these guys are going to be on the roster, mind you. But if you can, you don't even have to necessarily score off of Burns or or put up a lot of runs against Burns. You just have to get him out of the game and you have to make it about the bullpen. Now, the Brewers ran six starters this year. So uh, guys like Adrian Hauser and, uh, uh, oh, why can I not think of the names? Uh, Eric Lauer and um, Brett Anderson. You know, they, those guys are going to be in the in the bullpen for them as well. So you're going to cut out some of the fat there. But even even still, you know, if... These guys are okay, but they're not absolutely elite. This team needs to do the same thing they did to Trevor Bauer, where he he was in the press conference last year just crying about, God, it was like they just kept fouling the ball off. Like, yeah, man, you're you're good. You know, we, we had a game plan. We were trying to get you out of the game, you know, because we knew that the guy coming after you wasn't going to be as good as you. So um, you just have to take the same approach. You've got to be really diligent and Ozzy's going to swing at the first two pitches. It's just something he does. I know that that uh, D.O.B. had the interview with Wash about Ozzy and, you know, if he could learn how to stop swinging at the first pitch. I agree with you, man. He it's Don't fix what's not broken. That's that's just kind of his game. You know, Eddie Rosario, hit for the, hit for the cycle on five pitches. Yes, Chip, we know you have told us that story. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, you got to find a way to toe the line between being aggressive and also just making him, making him work. You know, I don't I don't know what the weather's going to be like up there. I don't know if it's going to be uh, humid. Uh, hopefully, it will be just unbearably humid for Burns, and he won't be able to get a good grip on anything, and Charlie will just be fine because he's 37 and able to uh, just kind of outpitch everybody these days. And Milwaukee humid is not Georgia humid, so we have an advantage there. That's true. Now, as to what worries you, because obviously we're, we're both Braves fans, so we're, we're both picking the Braves to win this, but if we're just being impartial here and we're talking about what worries you and obviously you know with the caveat of duh the rotation is the biggest factor for Milwaukee when you look at them offensively they're not a team that strikes the fear into the hearts of anybody with their lineup Willie Adamas is a monster uh, and I'm very happy he became one because I'm a big Willie Adamas fan I would have loved to have him here I've been saying that for years too um, they've got some other pieces Avisel Garcia had a really good season but again Avisel Garcia we've seen him before he'll go on these little tears and then he'll remember that he's obviously Garcia and stop being good at baseball. The the lineup for them and the hopes for Milwaukee and really a lot of a lot of the hopes for the Braves are going to hinge on Christian Yelich. We've seen Yelich really really hurt the Braves because we faced Yelich a lot 
over the course of Yelich's career. And he's an exceptionally talented player. He has also been horrendous this season and last season, except for the final week of the season, where all of a sudden it seemed to click that, oh yeah, that's right, I'm Christian Yelich. If the Braves are able to keep him down, then now you're talking about the Braves only need to score two or three runs to win these games. If Yelich goes back to being MVP Christian Yelich, now you're talking about, okay, maybe I have to find a way to score four or five which makes that a much taller task against the starting rotation. For Milwaukee, everything goes through Christian Yelich. Yeah, he, he's got, I get very, very Cody Bellinger vibes out of Christian Yelich, uh, what you've seen uh, this year, where it's like, I don't care if if he was hitting 161. I'm still not going to pitch him anywhere near his happy zone. You know what I mean? This is somebody that no matter what, you don't win an MVP and then just completely fall off the map. You know what I mean? So, Yelich, the last week of the season, he hit 348, 483, 565 with a 181 weighted runs created plus, a 21% walk rate, and a 6.5% strikeout rate. For somebody that sucked for most of the season, this is a really bad time for him to get good again. But you're right. He does prop up a Brewers offense that, truthfully, it's just okay. And this this team, these two teams are polar opposites in this way. Like, you take Atlanta's best pitcher, you put him on Milwaukee staff, that's Charlie Morton, 4.6 F war, and he's the third best pitcher, and Max Fried would be the fifth. But if you take their best offensive player, who is Willie Adamas, 3.9 F war, and you put him on the Braves, then he's the fifth best Brave. So, in the, in that way, it's... Uh, it's just so interesting to see it coming from both ways, but that also doesn't take into account. We're just going by F war here. There's a million things that, that go into, you know, players getting hot or, or players uh, getting healthy at the right time. You know, Yelich posted like half a win over the, the last week of the season or something. So uh, he's just like the, the sleeping, sleeping giant. And I don't really trust it. I really, really don't. I mean, I got all the faith in the world in our pitching staff to get these guys out, but He's tough, man. He he had two consecutive seven more seasons. He was uh, just he's unbelievable when he's on. Uh, I just I just hope he gets like uh, I don't know a mild case of like not food poisoning, but like you know maybe just right. maybe just an upset tummy. Maybe he eats too much like pregame McDonald's and the grease kind of gets to him a little bit. Yeah, just just enough, you know, a little sluggish. Maybe he has a cheesecake and and all of a sudden just sits in his stomach like cement and. He's feeling a little loogie. Yeah, uh, he didn't poop that day or whatever. He's just he's just <laughs> he's just feeling off his game, you know. Right. That that would be nice to see because aside from that, I do feel like just the and this is the part that's going to go undersold. And this is again going to sound like we're just being super homers, but you really do look at the differences of the lineup and think that 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 has a big shot at being the big difference in this series. Because when you just look at the one two three matchup, I mean Charlie Morton versus Corbin Burns is exceptional. Burns. Burns has been incredible, so I'd still give the edge to Burns. But Charlie in the second half of the season has been just insanely dominant. Uh, he, had, if you were to, t- if you were to put Charlie's normal numbers in place of his first like month and a half, two months, then you'd be looking at Charlie having about a five six WAR season. Um, still less than Burns, who I think was close to eight WAR. Uh, but but a really really good season. Freed versus Woodruff, I think, is always an X factor um, because we've seen how good Max has been this entire second half, and he's been, since he's come off the IL, Max has been one of the best pitchers in all of baseball. Brandon Woodruff, as we've mentioned before, is the Brandon Woodruff is the most underrated ace in baseball. Nobody mentions him as an ace, but that's all. He's just going to go out there, give you six seven innings, maybe give up a run or two, one walk, at least ten Ks. So what he does every single start. And it's just been that way for as long as he's been on the field for the last two or three seasons. He's just, he is incredible. 
but Max Freed also is incredible and limits with soft contact. So he's typically going to go deep into ball games. Then you look at start at the third starter. That is going to be a big key. If Ian Anderson is missing bats, then he and Peralta are going to be a much closer matchup. If Ian is in this kind of thing he's had since he's come back from the shoulder issue where you know he's pitching well, but he's not missing bats, he's given up a lot of contact, that's where things are going to start to get really interesting. And that's where having Waskar in the pen is going to play a big role. Because if Ian is, is pitching okay or pitching well and just not getting swing and miss on his stuff, he's given up a lot of contact, I'm not comfortable with him going two and a half, three times through the order, honestly. I might, he'd, he'd be a guy that I'd say, all right, one, maybe two times through, and then get him out of there and throw in. If it's the fifth inning, then you put in Waskar. You let Waskar go one full, time, one full time through the order, and then if you got to close out with somebody else, there you go. This is going to be an important postseason for Snicker here because he's got a piece in Waskar that he can move around almost, almost kind of like the Indians moved around um, uh, Andrew Miller back in their heyday postseason run. Uh, where you'd have Andrew Miller coming in early into games or late into games or whenever, if he's not going to be a starter for you, speaking of Waskar, he, he probably will once you get into seven game sets. But in this series, he's going to be in the bullpen unless something unforeseen happens. Don't be afraid to use him in the same manner that, that you would have used somebody like an Andrew Miller. You know his velocity is, is going to be up coming out of the bullpen. You know he's going to stick with just fastball slider. He does that anyway. I know Waskar, I think Waskar has been fatigued. I think his legs are kind of gone, so I would watch that. But when you're talking about the ability to have him come in and say, all right, give me what you got for two innings here. Give, give me what you got one time through the lineup. Now you're talking about the Braves have a chess piece that I think could compete with somebody like a Josh Hader. No, that's a, that's a, that's a really good comparison to make there, I think. I mean, and you saw it last year. I mean, I think part of the reason why people tend to go back to the Waskar is a, a reliever long-term thing is just because they saw him come out of the bullpen in Game 3 of the NLCS last year and shove against L.A. You know, he he saved the bullpen uh, in that in that way. So he's a, a really good, really versatile piece to be able to, to mix and match in that way. I think you're right. I don't think that he's going to wind up starting uh, starting a Game 4. If they have it, they would save that for the NLCS. Um but it's somebody who can just come out of the pen just throwing gas. And he's somebody that throws strikes and uh, and also gets uh, gets a lot of awkward swings and misses on his balls sometimes. So he and Smiley are going to be really, really key here because they're, they're going to be the two guys that are, that are going to be able to give you the most length um, out of the bullpen there. So Smiley has not been... We'll just say he was not good as a starter. Uh, but he he's actually been pretty decent coming out of the bullpen, the way that they've done kind of like the opener thing, going with Chavez, going into Smiley. So I could see the Braves doing something similar to that if it really comes down to it, if they have to get creative. But I love the idea of, of Waskar being used in high-leverage situations. Nothing gets to him. He's I would, I would trust him, you know, bottom nine, game seven of the World Series type, just because he's uh, ice in his veins. Oh, for sure. And he, he's got that about him. Uh, I think that's going to be one of the key interesting matchups for this, too, is going to be how do they use Waskar Noah. I think we'll find out a lot in game one. I think there's a chance if Charlie goes six innings and he's got up about 110 pitch count, uh, I think you could see maybe that enter into the equation there. I think, obviously, the big key for this bullpen is going to be get it to get it to the guys you're the most comfortable with. Matzik, Luke Jackson, and then for Snicker, it's going to be Will Smith. But for me, it's Matzik and Jackson, uh, which does lead to some interesting 
some interesting questions about the roster itself. As as of 6.58, it still hasn't been announced as to the playoff roster. We still have a few questions. Namely, uh, two right-handed guys uh, formerly in the bullpen, are they going to be in there? Talking about Richard Rodriguez and Chris Martin. This is a very interesting question here because both guys have been very, very good uh, for the Braves in the past. They've, they've been excellent players in past seasons but have not been nearly as effective this season, particularly Richard Rodriguez, which is hard for me to say because I'm a big Rich Rod fan. Um, but Richard has been pretty awful for most of his tenure here as a Brave. And Chris Martin, ever since the sticky incidents, uh, ha has really fallen off the map. And I don't think, I don't think they're going to have both of them off of the roster. I'd be very surprised if both Spencer Strider and Dylan Lee both made the roster. Um, but certainly, that's going to be an interesting question. I personally, I think Rodriguez is going to make it. I think he's probably going to be stuck in the lowest leverage spot. Um, but I, I think they're going to roll with him just on the kudos of what he's done throughout his career and what what he's been. And frankly, because the Braves gave up, he was the the most given up for. I don't think they're going to leave him off of the roster. Kind of similar to Shane Green, where Green had struggled for a little bit before he even went into the postseason and still got put on the postseason roster because, hey, you gave up enough for him and you believed in him. And I think that for the Braves, knowing you've got Rodriguez next year, I think it would send a bad precedent to him if he's not even on the roster, even if you don't use him. I don't think you want a Julio Tehran him, I think is what I'm trying to say. Um, for Chris Martin, I think that's a much more difficult question. You know, and if you look at the, the numbers just with the time since Rich Rod came to the Braves, especially in the past couple of weeks, um, you know, Martin hasn't been great, but Rodriguez is just, he's not walking anybody, which is good, but he's given up a lot of home runs, and he's not striking anybody out. You know, that's that's the biggest thing. I, I know strikeouts, strikeouts aren't everything, and if you... If you're getting contact, then you can keep your pitch count low. The problem is all of the contact that Rodriguez has had recently has been really hard and really far. So and he's not doing his normal thing of, of staying at the very tip top of the zone. They're kind of leaking like belt high, and that is not where you want to live when you're throwing 93-94. Yeah, and, and if you're a two-pitch guy, you're, you're – breakdown can't be 87% of one of those pitches. It just doesn't it just doesn't work that way, especially when the when that one is getting creamed. So, you know, I I don't think I don't think you can take both. I you could make a case for leaving either off, but when you start filling that role, that's where it gets tricky. Like Spencer Strider is going to be fantastic in the big leagues. But I don't know if necessarily there was enough out of him in game, anyway. You know, it's it's always different. You don't just scout the stat line. You don't just want to say, oh, well, he didn't strike anybody out in his uh, one and a third inning or two and two and a third innings or whatever. You know, he, he's not fit for, for the playoff roster or whatever. He's he's throwing 98, and he can locate. And uh, and Lee can locate pretty, uh, pretty well also. So, but this is two guys who didn't make their major league debuts until, like, the other day. And, you know, Martin has a little bit of playoff experience, and Rodriguez has been, been around for a couple years, so I don't think that you can leave both of them off because it just becomes so much trickier to fill the actual role. Uh, between Strider and Lee, if I was forced to choose one, I would say probably Strider, uh, just because we need somebody that's just, that can pump gas, you know, and, he, and he's touching 98, 99, so... And you're talking uh, about another multi-inning guy when you do that, which just, that makes him... Now, Lee is, is multi-inning guy, too, but Lee would probably be, like, he'd be at least fourth in the left-handed pitcher order yeah. because Tyler Matzik is also a multi-inning lefty. Drew Smiley is also a multi-inning lefty. When you're talking about the righties, the only real multi-inning guy that you're looking at, frankly, 
is Waskar Anoa right now. Now, you could say Jackson has done multi-innings before, but I don't think they're going to go that route with Luke in the playoffs. I think in the playoffs, they're going to try to have Luke be like the eighth-inning guy or the high-leverage in the seventh-inning guy, but go go all three outs and kind of let him just burn the tank in one go. I don't think they're looking at him to, to put together three, four, five, or two or three innings. No, that's that's probably that's probably really fair. So yeah, you're gonna need somebody from the right side who can who can give you a little bit of length. And it's not every day you see somebody that starts a starts a season in low A and ascends all the way up to the majors. So and then winds up pitching in the playoffs. So what a what a cool sto- if it does happen, what a cool story. And if not, well, I mean, it's it's kind of a gamble anyway, you know. So it, you never know. It could be somebody that steps in and and just you know, really carves out a niche for himself. And, you know, he gets this reputation as being incredibly clutch or, or, you know, the other thing happens. <laughs> or maybe not. Um, yeah. now, and, I, and I think that the bench options, I think the, the questions about the bench, I think they're just as interesting, just in a, in a less frightening way. You talk about, it's already been announced that Christian Pache and Shade Ligaliers are traveling with the team. Uh, now, they could be on taxi squad. There's nothing to say that they've been put on the roster. But adding Shea Langoliers, even though he got no regular season playing time, adding Shea Langoliers to this roster, uh, with the, and Pache too, we'll talk about in a second, obviously, because we're big Pache guys. But Shea Langoliers and Terrence Gore, I should mention, got added up on there too. Orlando Arcia as well. Um, but Langoliers being brought along would be a very interesting development because it would then free you up to use William Contreras as a pinch hitter. Now, I know... Normal people or people who aren't stuck in 1987 baseball uh, will look at that and be like, "Well, even if it's just two catchers, why would you be afraid to to pinch hit Shea Langley or to be to pinch hit um, William Contreras?" That is not the way that a lot of these managers and Brian Snicker in particular think. A lot of these traditional managers are not going to burn that second catcher unless, until the final opportunity. So if you have a guy like Shea who's a defensive replacement, period, anyway, like you'd bring him in. Whether or not he was, whether he was the only the second catcher, you you get to a ninth inning, you're bringing Shea in anyway because he's that good defensively. But having him there allows you to use William Contreras in say the fifth or sixth inning when say you've got a runner in scoring position and you look up and down the bench and you realize that if you need a right-handed bench option, William Contreras has been outstanding. And it's a short sample size, but in his 21 at bats since getting called up again was incredible. Like 152 WRC plus, incredible. He's a guy that has good bat path, hits a lot of extra base hits, and just he'll strike out a lot too. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that he's perfect, but clearly the guy on the bench that can do the most offensively and has the most offensive upside on that bench are are Jock and William Contreras. So allowing Snicker to feel free enough to use him earlier in a game rather than having to wait until the eighth or ninth inning, that's a big boon in my eyes. And that's a very interesting question. Shea really took a took a step forward with the bat this year. Uh, it wasn't Double A, you know. He he had a real power surge in a, in a park that is not known for being friendly for power hitters. Uh, I don't know if he would necessarily be able to uh, hit big league pitching, but if it's like you say, and and you're just having him there for insurance, you know, because the last thing that you want is is to have a situ- situation where, you know, kind of what happened last year 
when you have to you're relying on William Contreras and Alex Jackson to to be the starters in the the opening series, you know, uh, different different circumstances, mind you. But weird things tend to happen when you use your, burn your backup catcher, and the next thing you know, you got Aria Adrianza playing third because Austin Riley is wearing catcher's gear because things tend to get real weird. So if you have a, an option where you don't necessarily have to do that, you know, Shea's arm and his defense, I mean, those were his calling cards. Like that, those were the things that got him drafted ninth overall, got him a decent payday. And then the fact that he's just hitting out of his mind for the past year has just been an added bonus. Uh, I could I could see that depending on how much that's up to Alex as opposed to how much it's up to Snit. Uh, I do think kind of kind of like what you're saying, Snit is much more in the the traditional vein to where I, I don't think that he would necessarily want to burn his backup catcher in the the fifth inning just in case. The interesting thing for me is what do you do with the backup? outfielder spot because you know you're gonna have jock there but like i said i think he's gonna get a little bit of playing time heredia was never anything spectacular but he's kind of like is it off base for me to say that he's like the heart and soul of the team does that make sense like there's something about him like it just can't be quantified in war i don't know if it's just the pink swords or the fact that he's an absolutely ridiculous human being and i just wish that i could kind of hang out with him a little bit all the time i think he helps keep the team loose and i think that's important in postseason play and pache was great in triple a but i don't think and i get using him as a defensive replacement but i don't think and yes let, let me make sure i say this right pache is absolutely a, a defensive improvement over Guillermo Heredia but at the same time is he enough of an improvement to replace him on the roster with everybody knows Pache and everybody loves him but like I said you already took the panda head away you can't take the pink swords away too you just can't do that you just you now, can't do it I would I would carry both and here's here's what I'm gonna say first of all um despite what some certain beat writers would like to say uh, before they get called out on it. Pache is the best defender in Atlanta, bar none. He's the best best yeah. defensive outfielder in baseball, with the exception of, of maybe Byron Buxton, bar none. Like he is, he is that level of defensive player. Now, Guillermo Heredia himself was an incredible defensive player this year. 92, uh, 92nd percentile in OAA. Now, that's far better than he's ever been in his career, and I think the loss of playing time towards the end of the year kind of actually helped boost his OAA numbers. Uh, it, it helped him to where he's only you know coming in the last inning, making a, a good play here or there, rather than being in the outfield for multiple opportunities because he does take some, some Marcelo Zuna-type routes now and again. Um, but I think that having both of them would be if you're talking about just defensive replacements, having the two of them would be the perfect ideal of where once you get to the ninth inning, if you've got a lead going into the ninth inning, you have Heredia come in and take over right field for Solaire, and then you have Duvall move over to left field instead of Rosario, who, I'm sorry, is not a good defensive player at all. And then you have Pache come in in center field, and you've essentially got one of the best defensive outfields you could possibly have at the big league level. And I know Terrence Gore too, but Pache's fast enough to take to, to beat Gore on the bases. Now, he's not as good of a stealing threat. He's not nearly as aggressive as Terrence Gore. Terrence Gore is a better base runner. But when you're talking about giving up a valuable bench spot, Gore is not a great defensive outfielder. Uh, he's essentially on the on the team to run the bases. And that is important, but you're also not going to be stealing a lot of bases. You're not going to change the way that your team plays. And the Braves are not a team that steals a lot of bases or attempts to steal a lot of bases. And you're not going to... When you're, when you're facing teams that rely on pitching, you're not going to want to run into outs. 
So I don't know how heavy they would be even trying to send people like Gore. I think that having Pache to use on the bases because he is faster than Heredia. And I think that if you're talking about what is the, which one is going to give you more, I think both of them have been bad offensively. Uh, Heredia has been bad. Pache was significantly worse. Um, as much as that pains me to say. Now, when you look at what Pache did in AAA, it looks like he turned a lot of it around. He had some huge numbers to close out the AAA season that you feel good about. And he does have what happened last year, where he really did up his level of play in the postseason. Uh, I'd like to have both of them on the bench. I think that that gives you your perfect defensive alignment. Um, but knowing that bench spots are going to be at a premium, who doesn't make it at that point? Orlando Arcia, who has the added ability to play outfield and to also play the infield, along with Ari Adrianza. Neither of them are particularly inspiring hitters. Um, RC is a better defender, um, but Adrianza can play more spots and has been a better hitter. Um, I Personally, Gore would be left off for me, and I'd carry both Heredia and Pache. Yeah, that's a, that's such a great point you bring up about, I mean, this just isn't really a team that steals bases anyway. And uh, for a team who... You would bring Gore in at the end of the game because you're trying to mount a rally, and if you've got you get a base runner on and you're trying to push something forward, and then you got Hater on the mound who's facing first, so that immediately cuts down a little bit on the advantage that having somebody like Gore would create anyway. So and by the way, by the way, no phony runner on second extra innings rule, so that really depreciates what you're looking for with Terrence Gore. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. The long national nightmare is finally over. Uh, that one anyway. Uh, but yeah, so I, I like Pache. I could see it. I, I don't necessarily know if he would make it. Arcia's ability to to play both is going to be huge. If Pache could play second base, uh, that might uh, make me reconsider. But this team is is pretty pretty deep in outfielders, and they're they're definitely going to need uh, some guys on the dirt just in case. Like I, I know the intention is to have. Uh, the big four in the infield play every single out of this postseason, and and same same for Darno. I think uh, those those five guys for the for the most part are going to be. You could pretty much write their names in pen uh, where they're going to be, and the the only real shuffling is going to be in the outfield. So I think, um, man, just a tricky it's a decision. Question. I, yeah, I mean this is this is this is hard, man. Because like I said, it's not like you know offensively Heredia and Pache when he's on. Are are uh, it's it's kind of not really a contest. The only question is, is Pache going to be able to continue what he did for the past couple weeks in AAA at the big league level? So, I don't know. I I could see it, I could see it shaking out anyway. I just uh, I don't know. I, I'm really hoping for for like one more unifying thing. Like if you know, every year there's something, right? Like in 2019 it was the whole umbrella thing, and you know EY doing like the rain on Josh Donaldson, and then last year it was the mix it up and the selfie, and this year it was the panda head and the swords. And I hope that if he Haredi is not on the postseason roster, that every single player on that team is wearing pearl necklaces the entire series because you've got to have something like that. It's it's been so important. Like this team always has a thing. And you can't take away Haradia's thing. You just you, you can't do it. He's got to be on the roster. No, I think Haradia's on the roster either way for sure. Now, just in closing today, we're going to give our final prediction on the series. Now, I'm going to go ahead and give you a caveat. I am not going to make a prediction because I am a notorious jinx. So in the interest <laughs> of protecting everything that I love and hold dear, uh, Doc, you are going to be the singular prediction for the Platinum Sombrero. No pressure, but make it a good one. I hate you so much right now. Oh man. Okay, so so uh, last year I was 
I was bad luck. I was bad luck writing and good luck in person. This year, I was awful luck in person, and I did no writing. But I didn't do a lot of predicting. <laughs> Braves in four. Okay. Well, there you have it, guys. I'm going to stick true to my word. I'm not going to give you any predictions there. Braves in four, according to Doc Herbert. So if the Braves win in five, then you can still attack him. If the Braves lose at all, you can still attack him or whatever. Just remember that I, Dylan Schwartz, did not make a prediction. So I did not jinx anything. Thank you guys so much for tuning into this week's episode. Really excited about the game tomorrow. I'm not super happy that it's going to happen while I'm at work, but you know what? This is kind of what happens in postseason baseball. Uh, don't worry. We're still going to get to see every bit. I'm not going to work very much at all tomorrow. Just a little hint to my work, to my boss. Uh, but it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, good luck to the Braves. Good luck to Charlie Morton. And uh, let's get this started off right. And let's let's put up a crooked number on Corbin Burns out of the gate. And let, let's get this postseason run started. And uh, let's see how far they can take us. I'm still so mad at you right now. <laughs> and with that, we're going to go ahead and end for the week. We'll catch you guys next week on hopefully a very, very happy edition of the Platinum Sombrero. See you. Okay, bye.